Please pray with me. Ah, oh, sovereign Lord, how great is your faithfulness. Your mercies truly are new every morning. I stand in awestruck wonder at all that you have taught us this year through the study of Ephesians and Malachi. And I pray that you will continue to teach us as we work through this lesson of closing words. May you, Holy Father, have the last word. Open our heart eyes once again to hear your voice. Speak through me, your humble and beloved servant. To you I lift up our souls in the mighty and majestic name of Jesus, our Messiah. Amen. How full is your God tank? Has your lost soul been found? Has your lean soul been filled with all the fullness of God? Have you been touched by the life-giving breath touch of God? Our study of Ephesians and Malachi opened with the vision of dead bodies. Remember, a valley of dry bones in need of the breath touch of God to give them life. The breath touch of God is what every lost soul desperately needs. But as we have learned, believers also need his breath touch lest we become lean souls. Every day that you and I draw earthly breath, we need heavenly breath. The breath touch of God fills us with God's spirit. He fills us with all the fullness of God. Paul says this is his desire for us in Ephesians 3.19. In one compound word, God fullness. As you studied the lost and lean souls in Malachi, did it increase your hunger and your thirst for the one who declared, I have loved you? As you studied the mind-boggling, knee-buckling spiritual blessings that are yours in Christ, did it increase your appetite for being continually filled with all the fullness of God? As the book of Malachi closes, the prophet speaks of two destinies of two groups of people that he has addressed throughout his prophecy, the rebellious rebels and the righteous remnant. As the book of Ephesians draws to a close, the Apostle Paul speaks of peace, grace, and a love incorruptible for God. Both closings are reminders to live as children of God as we look forward to Christ's second coming. They also remind us of the faithfulness of our Father God to fully fulfill every one of his very great and precious promises. This includes, this, this concludes, um, we conclude this study with a truth that is soul-shaking, bone-rattling, that one day we will be fully filled with all the fullness of God. So that's what we're going to examine in two divisions. Stubbled or saved. And then saved and sent. So our first division is stubbled or saved. 
Malachi chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Verse 1, For behold, a day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. The day referred to here is the day of the Lord. Now, the the day of the Lord is frequently referenced in Scripture with phrases like the day or in that day. The day of the Lord points to the promise that God's eternal sovereignty over all creation and all nations will one day become crystal clear to all creatures. In the Old Testament, the day of the Lord was used by the prophets to warn sinners to repent of their rebellion and rejection of God, as well as of their empty religion, or they would face God's just judgment. In the New Testament, the phrase day of the Lord is used to point to Christ's final victory and the final judgment of sinners. The New Testament also records several other phrases to describe this day. You might see it as day of Jesus Christ, the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, or simply day of Christ. It might appear as day of judgment, this day, that day, or day of wrath. Throughout Scripture, there is an already not yet fulfillment of many prophecies. This is true of the prophecies concerning the day of the Lord. All the Old Testament prophets saw the events of their day as part of this day of judgment. Regarding fulfillment of prophecy, Old Testament scholar Walt Kaiser writes, Prophecy must be viewed as being successively fulfilled through a number of events in history, all of which depict aspects of that final and climactic fulfillment. Kaiser goes on to say that the day of the Lord is a generic or collective event that gathers together all the antecedent historical episodes manifesting the judgment and salvation of God as they pointed to that grand future finale for the whole series. Thus, he says, Every evidence of God's intervention in history, either to save or to judge men or nations, became a preview, a sample, a down payment, and earnest money on that climactic conclusion to history. Malachi warns sinners with that day, the day of the Lord, in view What does Malachi say will happen on that day? He says that the arrogant and the evildoers, those people, do you remember the people of Malachi envied them? Look at them. They get away with all kinds of stuff and still you bless them. Still you prosper them. Malachi says they will be judged. God's fiery judgment would fall. These people would be consumed with a burning like an oven until they are stubble. Ashes, as verse 3 says. The day of the Lord will set them ablaze and they will burn until there is neither root nor branch left. 
This speaks of the total effectiveness of God's wrath. The wicked will have no legacy. The arrogant, there will be no coming back for them. Now, this does not say, however, that the wicked will be annihilated. Some people believe that they'll just cease to be. This judgment is the permanent and everlasting banishment from the presence of the Lord. We will all live forever, either with God or apart from God. Kaiser describes this as an eternal existence in a place where neither God nor the influence of his Holy Spirit exists. That is impure hell in all its fury. It is a place where everyone simultaneously does what he wishes to do. And this is not freedom, but nightmarish anarchy. But praise God, this is not the destiny for believers. When the day comes for God to carry out his judgment, his believing remnant will be saved completely. Or as scripture says, they will be saved to the uttermost. This means that our salvation will be fully realized in the very presence of God, where the very presence of sin will finally be gone. Instead, we will experience God's fullest fullness. Believers will one day be fully filled with all the fullness of God. That is what is described in verses 2 and 3. It says, but for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. For believers... The day of the Lord will dawn with the rising of the sun of righteousness. That is Messiah. His rays will bring healing and comfort for those who fear God, revere his name, and think on his name. This, of course, refers to believers. God repeatedly promised to adopt the believing remnant of Israel as his own. Malachi 3.17, he says, They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 through 14, Paul revealed the reality of becoming God's treasured possession in his long without taking a breath sentence that declares the spiritual blessings that belong to all who are in Christ. There we read that God chose a people for himself before the foundation of the world. In love, he, he predestined them for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. The key to this passage is a he, Jesus, the beloved, the Christ, Messiah. We are adopted through Christ. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. See, at the cross, 
the judgment that will be experienced by the arrogant and the wicked, it fell on Christ. He is our righteousness, the son of righteousness. He is the messenger of the covenant God promised to send in Malachi 3.1. And after he died on that cross as our substitute, he lay in the tomb for three days. On the third day, he rose from the dead in final triumph over sin and death. Therefore, just as Malachi prophesied, the son of righteousness arose with healing in his wings. The phrase healing in its wings is a messianic reference. The Hebrew word for wings is kenaf, and it's translated in English as corner or skirt, as well as the wings of a bird. Like every Jewish man, Jesus wore a prayer shawl with knotted tassels at the corners. These were the kenaf, or the wings of the prayer shawl. Malachi's prophecy for the son of righteousness rising with healing in his wings was partially fulfilled in Matthew chapter 9, verses 20 through 22, when the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years touched the hem of Jesus' garment. You see, she believed that he was God's promised Messiah. This woman knew God's word. She knew that Messiah would come with healing in his wings. So so she believed that if she could merely touch the hem, the very corner or the wings of his prayer shawl, she would be healed just as God said. Imagine Her joy when Jesus turned to her and said, Take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. Instantly she was healed, released from a 12-year bondage to her disease. Do you think she went out leaping like calves from the stall? Malachi describes the joy of those who are saved by comparing them to baby animals being released to play in a pasture. The image conveys the absolute delight and the elation of sudden freedom from a binding enclosure. It is a picture of unrestrained joy. This is the believer's experience now, but the full experience of this awaits the day when Christ returns. On that day, every promise of God will be fully fulfilled, and every believer will be fully filled with all the fullness of God. So what does that mean for us now? It means we must pursue holiness. Look where Malachi takes us next in verse 4. He points back to the holiness of God expressed in his law. Through his prophet, God says, Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Remember. Remember God's law. Now, this is not an endorsement of legalism. Yet God's people cannot and must not be separated from God's law. For believers today, the moral law still stands. Now, obedience to the law does not save us. Please don't hear me say that. Believers are not saved by fulfilling the law. They are saved only because of Christ's perfect obedience to every jot and tittle of God's holy law. 
That's who saves us. But as we remember the law, observing or obeying its statutes and rules, we are filled with all the fullness of God as we are sanctified or as we grow in holiness. In verse 5, God returns to the still future day of the Lord. He says, Behold, I send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Through Malachi, God still urges the people to repent. With one of his wonderful I will promises, he says, I will send another prophet, Elijah, before that great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Now, this pro- promise was partially fulfilled when he sent John the Baptist in the spirit of Elijah to call his people to repentance in preparation for the arrival of the promised Messiah. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, God promised to send a messenger who would prepare the way for the arrival of the messenger of the covenant. That's Messiah. If you recall, this prophecy speaks of the second coming or advent of Jesus Christ. There it says he will come suddenly to his temple. You see, God will raise up another Elijah or prophet before Messiah's second coming. The return of Elijah or new Elijah is described in Revelation chapter 11. He is one of the two witnesses who will prophesy for 100, 260 days, 1,260 days, clothed in sackcloth. In verse 6, we see God continue to speak about this prophet that he will send by saying, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Malachi's prophecy closes by describing the mission of God's prophets to turn the hearts of fathers and the hearts of children to the Lord. This speaks of reconciliation produced by repentance. God gets the last word as the Old Testament concludes. And that word is haram. This word is translated in English as curse. It is used in the Old Testament to speak of someone or something that is devoted to destruction or excommunicated from community. It includes the separation or the banning of someone or something. Thus, the Old Testament ends with the word curse. But the New Testament ends with the word blessing. God's prophecy through Malachi calls his people to repentance. If they refuse, utter destruction is their destiny. This is still true for us today. For lost souls, that utter destruction means an eternity spent in hell. A forever separated from their creator God existence. For lean souls, this means a separation from the abundant life that Christ died to give his beloved bride. No matter what we do. Christ's completed work on the cross 
endures. And God's glorious character remains the same. He never changes. His love never changes. In the Old Testament, he remained true to his covenant promises until every one of them was realized and it culminated in the sacrifice of his son on the cross. And though there there are still promises that have not yet been fulfilled, we can trust that he will be faithful to fill them all because he is faithful. So our first truth is that God is faithful to fulfill every promise he has ever made. How many promises of God do you know? How many have you seen fulfilled in your life? And what has been your response? Believer, You and I can spend a lifetime cataloging God's promises, those he has fulfilled and those he has yet to fulfill. Are you looking for a worthy summer project? Start listing God's amazing promises to you. A few that we learned this year show us that God is full of goodness, love, and mercy toward us. In Malachi chapter 1, he declared his love for his people. He loved his people despite their rebellion against them and their rejection of him. His promised steadfast love, or hesed, is eternal and unfailing. So is his mercy. Throughout Malachi, God fulfilled his covenant promise to be their God and they his people. He still engaged with them. He still sent the prophet Malachi to speak to them, to guide them, to call them back to repentance, to to draw them back into right relationship with God. They did not get what they deserved for their great sin against their covenant God. Neither do believers today. That is God's promised Mercy. God is faithful to fulfill his promises even when his people are faithless. Indeed, God is faithful to fulfill every promise he has ever made. The New Testament unfolds this fulfilling of many more of those prophecies, those promises. In our study of Ephesians, Paul has deftly defined many of them for us. He shows us the rich possession believers receive from the God who saved them. And in his closing words, he underscores that we are saved for a purpose. We are saved and sent. That's our second division. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 21 through 24. On the heels of his instruction on spiritual armor for the spiritual battle that believers face, Paul offers his final words to the Ephesian believers. And his words are marked by his deep affection for them. Verses 21 through 22. So that you may know how I am and what I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. 
So in verse 21, we meet Tychicus. He is a native of Asia. The gospel writer Luke says that he was with Trophimus, an Ephesian. So it's very likely that Tychicus was also from Ephesus. Paul entrusts Tychicus with the letter to the Ephesians as well as one that he sent to the Colossians. Paul had complete confidence in his beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord. He sent him to not only deliver his letters, but also to carry some personal news to the churches in these cities. News of how he's doing and what he's doing. Paul's pastoral heart is in view. You see, he loves his flock. He does not want the members of the churches that he planted to be anxious or to worry about him. Remember, Paul is in a Roman prison. They had no idea what was going on, and they would surely be anxious and worry about him. He wants them to instead be encouraged by the news of his condition and his continued labor for the gospel. Now, the fact that he sent Tychicus explains why Paul's usual personal messages and greetings are absent from the end of Ephesians. He sent Tychicus to convey these messages and greetings personally by word of mouth. Paul's sending of Tychicus sets an example for all believers. If you are in Christ... You were sent by Christ to share the good news of the gospel, to be his hands and feet to the poor and needy, and to encourage other members of the body of Christ. John Stott says that prayer, correspondence, and visits are still three major means by which Christians and churches can enrich one another and so contribute to the building up of the body of Christ. Paul has certainly taught us how important unity is in the body of Christ. He has taught us how much Christ loves his bride. We are saved and sent to love one another well within the body of Christ. Then we are sent to proclaim gospel love and shine gospel light to a love-starved and dark world. Remember, believers are children of love and children of light. Finally, Paul uses two words that he often uses in his greetings and all his epistles to close his letter, peace and grace. First, he proclaims peace to his Christian family in verse 23. Peace to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, believers are given as a gift of grace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, this peace. It is a peace that is found in our reconciliation with God based solely on the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. His sacrifice paid for our sin so that we now have peace with our holy God in place of enmity, wrath, condemnation. It is ours by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. Have you received this peace? If so, 
You were called to peace within the body of Christ and sent to proclaim this peace that only comes from the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, Messiah. Paul also says believers receive love with faith. Christ's love in us enables us to worship God rightly and to work with one another. He also gives us the faith that empowers us to stand amid Christian warfare and persevere to the end. Paul's last words are in verse 24. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Grace, love. These two words permeate Paul's letter to the Ephesians, and his message is undeniable. God's love empowers believers, and God's grace compels believers to love the Lord Jesus Christ with a love that is incorruptible, unfailing, unending. Brian Chappell closes his commentary on Ephesians by noting that this kind of love requires a heart that beats for God. I would say it requires the breath touch of God. Chapel exhorts us saying, God bids us to feed on his word and seek the spirit that opens our minds to the knowledge of the Savior and renews our will with a compelling love for him. By God's word and spirit, we are filled with the knowledge and love of him that gives us the desire to run with him and to him more than anything else in the world. The grace he pours into our heart enables us to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that we might be filled to the measure with all the fullness of God. Thus we end with the truth that captures our entire study. God is faithful to fill his people with all his fullness. How has your hunger and thirst for the one who loves your soul increased this year? Has Jesus Christ breathed new life into your bones? In what ways has the study of Ephesians and Malachi breathed fresh spiritual wind into you? And how will you now respond to Christ's great commission which sends you into the world to make disciples and to teach others all he has commanded you? Being filled with all the fullness of God comes with a responsibility. As his fullness continually fills you, you must continually pour it out on others until you draw your final breath or Jesus Christ returns. In the words of an old saint named A.B. Simpson, he says, Beloved, your life is too large, too glorious, too divine for the small place that you are trying to live in. Your purpose is too petty. Arise and dwell on high in the resurrection life of Jesus and the inspiring hope of his blessed coming. 
God is faithful to fill his people with all his fullness. How will you live in light of that glorious truth? Will it be to the praise of God's glory? How full is your God tank? For the people of the Old Testament, it must have seemed that any fullness from God had dried up while he remained unchanging in his love and faithfulness, he judged the disobedient and the rebellious Israelites with 400 years of silence. Malachi's last words were God's last words until the word became flesh. Theologian Michael Lawrence captures this breathtaking moment with a magnificent word picture. He writes, as the Old Testament draws to a close, the temple stands empty, the prophets fall silent, and the throne is vacant. As the New Testament opens, almost all the tokens of God's love are gone. Suddenly, into the seeming picture of love's labor lost comes the greatest demonstration of love that the world has ever seen. God sends Jesus, the son he has loved from eternity past. Oh, my friends, this is Messiah, God's long-awaited, promised, and anointed one. He finally arrives and his life, death, and resurrection changes everything. Like calves bursting into freedom from their stalls, God's people can now rejoice in one but God after another. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 5, it is Paul who exalts, saying, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. How that one passage should fill your soul. If you are a child of God, your God tank should read F-U-L-L, full. From the incomprehensibly great riches of God's glory, you are strengthened. The infinitely powerful Christ lives in you. You have been rooted and grounded in divine love. You are extravagantly loved. And you have the ability to know in increasing measure the fathomless love of Christ, that you may be filled with all the fullness of Christ. Oh, child of God, that is the bone-rattling truth of the gospel. Have you received the breath touch of God? Has your lost soul been found? Has your lean soul been touched by the life-giving breath touch of God? And has your soul been satiated by the fullness of God? All the fullness of God. Oh, my friends, I urge you to say yes to Messiah Jesus. Then spend much time with God. Worship him. Exalt his character in praise-laced prayer. 
Saturate your soul with the truth of his word. Fill up with his fullness. Then go and share his fullness with those who are lost and lean. And as you go, God will continually top off your God tank until that glorious day when you and I are finally fully filled with all the fullness of God and we sing with the angels in all the company of heaven. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. Please pray with me. Oh, great and mighty God, our Father in heaven, you are holy, holy. Your steadfast love endures forever. Oh, Lord God, we rejoice in your love and in your salvation. As your beloved children, we stand in awe of the mind-blowing spiritual blessings that are ours in Christ. May we never take them for granted. Holy Spirit, continue to breathe your spirit into us. Give us the breath touch of God so that we might be filled with all the fullness of God as we worship him and serve him. Empower us to live to the praise of your glory. This we ask in the name above all names, Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen and amen.